This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. This podcast brought to you by My Patriot Supply. Did you miss the chance to get a 72-hour emergency food supply with free shipping for just 10 bucks? What's wrong with you? Don't worry. Call 888-411-7440 right now. They have a few left, and they're selling out fast. 888-411-7440. What are you waiting for? A disaster? Do it right now. 888-411-7440. There, it's Doc Thompson and Skip Lacombe pinch hitting for Pat and Stu all this week. Thanks so much for joining us. Lots of stuff going on. But first, before we get to that, please interact with us if you would. You can do so on the Twitter. Follow at Doc Thompson Show and at Skip Lacombe. And use the hashtag what I learned today if you learn anything throughout the program because we're all about learning and growing and being better. It's an educational program, folks. Educational, of course. That's our goal to be educational, say that. Yeah, it doesn't always work out that way, but no, at least you know, we try to make it an educational program. So it's uh, at Doc Thompson Show and at Skip Lacombe on the Twitter with the hashtag what I learned today. Going to start with terror and Belgium. So the city of Brussels is still on complete lockdown because of the fact that the Paris attacks happened and then one of the suspects was seen crossing into Belgium. So they think this guy is still on the loose there. And you could end up seeing some sort of Paris-style attack there. If that's the case, they want to be prepared. So this is how they're being prepared. They've shut the city down all weekend, and it continues today. That means all government offices, uh, schools, universities, even the subway was shut down. And then the prime minister said, hey, we really should shut down and is asking everybody to shut down all sporting events, as well as malls, shopping centers, strip malls, all of that completely shut down. And they're calling it a serious and imminent threat. Now, that very well may, may be the case, but my question is, if something like this is actually going on, why do you actually do a date down to it? It's, it wouldn't you necessarily think that after, uh, after the lockdown is, is done, isn't that when they're going to attack? You would think it says, okay, we're going to go ahead and keep everything locked down until next Thursday. Do you think that would make people more apt to go and go on Friday and carry out your attack? That's a really good point. Okay, so the, I understand you got to do something, right? You feel like you got to do something. You got to try to protect people. But to your points, give, yeah, you go, okay, we're shutting it down. I mean, it's not like the terrorist is in the cone of silence and can't hear what the PM says. He can't, he can't read newspapers, watch television, listen to the radio, all of that. He's not, he's not exposed to. He's just wandered around. Oh, everything's shut down. I guess I better not blow anybody up. Well, it's the same argument, too, into how we, uh, we withdraw the number of troops that were in Iraq or <laughs> Afghanistan. If you actually lay out the timetable of, okay, this is when we'll be taking people out. This is when the security will go back to normal. Doesn't that make you more, uh, more apt to be attacked at that point? Unfortunately, what you're dealing with, Skip, I think, is what we see a lot of times in America, and that is the illusion of security and safety. 
This is what most people want, and this is what politicians love. They know that even if they were perfect in everything they did, the best that we could hope for is eventually we will be the victims of terror again. I mean, it may be 400 years, it may be 10,000 years, but eventually these things are going to happen. So you aim for the best, and you make sure everybody know what's, knows what's going on. This is, this is reality. Eventually something will happen, but we can certainly make it a lot better than it has been. But we prefer the illusion of security. Politicians love it because they get a pass. Politicians get to say, I'm out there doing something. I've shut the city down, the subway, making sure nobody's at malls so they can't blow us up there. <laughs> the reality is they'll just do it a different time, right? They'll just wait until they lift that ban. I mean, look at our own TSA, the illusion of security. 95% failure rate, Skip. 95% with the TSA, and we still pay these knuckleheads gobs and gobs of money and we still put up with their BS. I don't know what the answer is, though. I mean, I think ISIS is definitely a threat, as they've proven, or these types of attacks, which we saw in Paris. I mean, what is the answer then at this point? We had the, we had the Russian um, airplane that was taken down with a soda pop uh, a bomb. I mean, you can't just uh, lay out your plans in terms of things are going to be on high alert until this date. But what is the answer? I think the, clearly the answer is go back to the George W. Bush administration's many terror levels that were color-coded. Oh, see, That's the way to that go. That way we know if it's like an orange day or if it's like right. a yellow day. Right, exactly. And then you can say, hey, it's went up to orange. Maybe I won't fly today. I mean, then like on the anniversary of 9-11, we go to red. red. We go to red, all the way to red. And then, okay, nothing, drop it down just a little bit. See, at least that way you understand, you know. Then you know exactly how, how at threat you are. Do you realize during his administration it rarely changed off of orange? Yeah, it was orange like the entire Entire the entire time. It's BS. Again, it's the illusion. With the, with the exception of around 9-11, a couple of days before. Yeah, pop it up one level. Down the orange the whole time. Well, I'm glad you asked about the solution. We will take your solutions as well. It's uh, 888-727-BECK. 888-727-BECK if you want to join the program on the telephone or again on Twitter with the hashtag what I learned today. We're looking for some suggestions. What would you do? What do you tell the White House? Now, we're not experts, but we can certainly see through a bunch of this BS. I would suggest a couple of things. Number one, I think a key component for the long haul of battling terror has to be better marketing of America and Americans. I mean, uh, what's the documentary, Six Days in Iraq? Um, uh, yes, yeah, the, the special that aired on, on, on the Blaze TV a week or two ago. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we were just talking to some of the producers, and they were talking about the relationship they had with just the average person. The average person in Iraq, they don't mean any harm. Right? The people they were dealing with, they don't want us harm. They were very supportive and loving and nice people, whatever. And we certainly are in mass. Americans are. We want to help the world. We do help the world. But they don't know that. And we don't know them. Ignorance, we know, has been the response or is uh, one of the things that is responsible for a lot of bad throughout history. Misconceptions, misunderstandings. So we need better marketing of America and Americans. And by that, I don't mean diplomacy. Diplomacy is fine, but diplomacy is talking our president to some other leader who most of the time is bought and paid for by us or a dirtbag totalitarian. It has to be the marketing of American to other citizens of the world where we say this is who we are and this is what we want and please this is why we support freedom and this is what the First Amendment means and when we get that over the long haul then we can reach a basic understanding and we can tell them listen if you don't want us occupying your country then you've got to take care of these bad guys that are running your country well and i think it's the same way too that yeah a small group of people have have uh, carved up and, and and made this uh, these fears and extrapolated things where it's the same thing with uh, uh, liberals and republicans too or the black community and the white community is that we're all humans i think we 
all generally have feelings that are a lot closer to it, but this is a small segment of people like Al Sharpton that's a, that's a lightning rod to divide blacks against whites. It's the same thing with, uh, with all around the world, too. We all just want to go on, live our lives, and, uh, and do our thing. I don't think that uh, most people really generally want to keep that hatred going. So you have to ask yourself, why then? Why don't we understand each other? And I'm not just talking Iraqis. Let's talk about Black Lives Matter people, Skip. Why don't we understand each other? There's so much common ground. There's mainly common ground. Ninety-some percent, we agree with the same things. Slight variations in opinion on how we get there. But most things we agree on. We do. So why are we separated? Because people have separated us, and they benefit from it. We know that. That's, that's the age-old plan. And the same thing is true in Iraq and Afghanistan and Syria. Who's benefiting from this? Not the Syrians. <laughs> They're not. Assad, he's not so much anymore. Saddam Hussein, right? <laughs> he's not benefiting from it. Who's benefiting from it? Politicians in America who go, they're coming to get us. Let's keep you safe by infringing all of your rights and spending your money, whatever. And who's pulling their strings? The people who financially benefit off of it. The big companies in America who say, hey, if you go to war, we're going to make a lot of money. That's the truth. That's what we have to battle. So I think the first part of defeating ISIS or battling any terrorism or keeping America safe is some sort of connection with the people of the world so they know who we are, what we stand for, and we understand them. That's not some nice uh, song and dance all about peace and love and faith and hippie talk. It's the truth. We need to understand each other. Now, that's long-term plan. A short-term plan, we need to kick a little ass. <laughs> I mean, seriously, that's what it is. We need to go get the bad guys. And I'm always torn. There's always this balance. Number one, we shouldn't be arming rebels and just saying, go get those bad guys or whatever. If we're committed, if we're vested in that, then we ought to put troops in. We ought to fight our battles if we believe in that cause. That's not to say we also can't blow some stuff up along the way. You don't have to lead with the troops if there's a different way to get it done. But your question on troops, though, what type of troops do you, do you put in there? Do you do a big shock and awe where you bring 100,000 troops, put them on the ground, or do you do more special forces when you send a group of 500 or so special forces in there that are specially trained as terrorist hunters? Barbary pirates. The Barbary pirates. That's the answer. You, you want to send the Barbary pirates to go after ISIS? If we can get them. If they're not available, then we send people to fight them like they fought the Barbary pirates. This is how you have to battle. If we no longer fight conventional wars, or that's not the wars we're fighting now, we no longer at this point fight a country. We're not at war with Russia. We're not at war with a certain country. Even the war in Iraq, we were not fighting all of Iraq and the Iraqi government. Hell, we propped up the government, put our own people in for a while, right? No, it's, this, it's that ambiguous exactly. war on terror that we're fighting. We're fighting an idea. We're fighting ideals. Exactly. People with those ideals. So we have to fight those people. And the way you do that, traditionally you go, okay, we're fighting a country, so we invade the country. And there's land forces and there's air forces and there's boats if it's port and whatever. No, we go after those individual people and you do them with pirate hunters. That's all they are. I mean, by a different name, they are individuals out there causing hell. And you target them with extreme prejudice. Now, Skip, I'm fine with saying send special forces in. We don't need the same traditional lines and forces and, you know, this is where the front is and all of that stuff. The front is individual bad guy hunters. And maybe special forces is it. I mean, people with more knowledge than I over special forces in the military, better military planners could tell you that. But you send in either special forces and you ramp them up and you quadruple the number of special forces and you say, go kill these people. 
with extreme prejudice, kill them. But I suggest something else. Maybe it's time for a new designation for the Marine Corps. That's how they got their start, fighting pirates. Maybe that's what the Marine Corps could be. I mean, that's just one suggestion. I don't know. But we need individuals out there fighting terrorists. Well, then you have the question, too, of, well, when do you win the war? How do you win the war? I mean, you, do you actually have to kill every single person that has these ideals of ISIS? It's the same type of thing when we talk about these regimes out there, too. If you take out the top person, there's another bad guy right there who's going to have the same ideals and wants the same causes who will do the same type of recruiting. Well, and that's the reason that marketing is so important, uh, important in this aspect as well. So you're also explaining to people, and, and if you're liberating and doing the right things without occupying, so to speak, or any of the negatives that come along with it, you're going to cut down on some of those bad guys that are following them. But I would say um, we have a long way to go before we start worrying about, okay, have we now ended? You may never be completely done with it. You may never get every bad guy, and that's fine. But I think you can get most of them at this point, and you can say, okay, then the war will shift, so to speak. Um, you, you just go hunt the bad guys. That has to be part of it. Well, I think one thing that's going to push that and actually push uh, more people getting involved is as, as these terrorists start attacking different countries, now that they've hit France again, now that they've taken down a Russian airliner, the more nations that they can actually cause terror on, they're going to piss off these countries to actually get involved. We saw France uh, uh, heavily stepped up their airstrikes after the Paris attacks, said, oh, well, you want to come after us? Well, here you go. As more countries start getting attacked, more countries are going to be invested in this. Now, I just explained to you, I think, part of the solution is you've got to go and kill bad people. So keep that in mind with what I'm about to say. I also think we're being manipulated here. I th yes, of course ISIS is a problem, and of course if they grow it's going to be a much bigger problem for us. But I'm just a little concerned about ending up like George W. Bush's administration again with these never-ending wars and gobs and gobs of money and human life lost, especially American life lost. For what? Where are we? And yes, I know Obama screwed up some of it afterwards with Iraq and Afghanistan. I get that. I know that. But I just feel like I'm being played here. Doesn't this seem all too convenient to go and spend a bunch of money on a war machine again? You've got uh, the, the British prime minister has just said this is what he's committed to. Twelve billion pounds. He's committed to twelve billion pounds for a five thousand strong strike force to be formed to take out ISIS. So David Cameron says 112 billion is uh, roughly 20 billion American dollars, something like that. So they can have this rapid reaction troop force. It's on a 10-year campaign. The two rapid reaction units will be established to become Britain's fastest ever ground force, launching lightning attacks, he says. Lightning attacks? Lightning attacks. For 10 years. This is what he's committed to. $20 billion? And 10 years? That's, that's right now. Doesn't this sound like we've been down this road before? Marco Rubio came out. He has a four-point plan. Genius political move for him, by the way. <clears throat> he writes this op-ed piece that says, four-point plan to take out ISIS. First of all, his goal is do whatever it takes, which is pretty open-ended to me. Do whatever it takes? <laughs> I like the sound of that. No, there's a lot. I, no, ISIS is a huge problem. Take him out. But whatever it takes? I'm not sure I'm willing to commit to that. Another Patriot Act, something even worse, spying on all Americans, rounding up Americans. No, I'm not doing whatever it takes. Do smart things to take out ISIS, kill the bad guys. So that's the first thing. Second of all, he said he wants to um, go ahead and look at the visa waiver program. The visa waiver program we have that right now you can waive the visa you need to come into America for as a tourist, let's say if you're from certain countries that we're friendlier with that we believe there's less likely a threat from. 
he said we, we basically scrutinize those people even more, so, which hurts tourism and everything else. But the big problem is this is a guy who is fine with amnesty. Marco Rubio was part of the Gang of Eight and said, I'm fine with giving amnesty to the 11 to 25 million people that are here. So first of all, his plan is let's look at that visa waiver system and let's secure that border and whatnot. And let's, the second part of the plan, let's stop all Syrian refugees. I'm fine with that right now. I want and believe America should bring in as many people legally as we can, especially res, uh, refugees. That's what we should be doing, provided we know who they are. So he makes a good point. We've got to stop because we don't know their background. The problem is Marco Rubio already wants to leave 11 to 25 million people already in America, and we have no idea their background. Well, but see, he doesn't want to have the attributes because he's already committed all his amnesty passes to the 20 million illegals that are here. So then you can't bring in all these refugees, too, because then that's just too many. And he's right. There's no way for us to actually monitor these people, but they're what are do a background check right. on these people accurately. But you know what? They can't do that for the 20 million people he wants to give amnesty to either that are already here. And none of that matters as long as it's so easy just to go down to Juarez and walk on over to El Paso. Yeah, that's, by the way, without securing the border. But Marco Rubio is essentially telling you that those 11 to 25 million people, I got them. I vouch for them. They're all good people. Don't worry. I checked them all out. That's what he's saying with his Gang of Eight Amnesty. Because he just told us refugees coming in, there's no way to check their background. Do we know the background of any of those illegals? None. Then his next plan, he says, uh, he wants to get rid of those sequestration cuts for the military. So he wants to spend more money as well. And he wants to take out Assad. That's the other part of his plan. Got to take out Assad, which I agree with. Assad's a bad guy, but regime change? Okay, that's fine. With troops on the ground and all of this? That's the George W. Bush administration. We're going right back to that. How did that work? Is that good? Is that swell? Are you prepared to go into every country, clean up everybody? I'm not. Marco Rubio sounds like a bit of a fail to me. All right, tell us, uh, tell us what you've learned. We'll take some of your thoughts and comments coming up. 888-727-BECK. Also on the Twitter, at Doc Thompson Show, at Skip Lacombe. Doc and Skip in for Pat and Stu today. This podcast brought to you by My Patriot Supply. Did you miss the chance to get a 72-hour emergency food supply with free shipping for just 10 bucks? What's wrong with you? Don't worry. Call 888-411-7440 right now. They have a few left, and they're selling out fast. 888-411-7440. What are you waiting for? A disaster? Do it right now. 888-411-7440. <laughs> I'm not an expert on Islam. You're not? I'm not. I know a little bit, and I've been talking to a couple of friends of mine, and what I'm about to share with you seems a little against Islam from what I know of it, but I'll let you decide. Right. Apparently, uh, the missing jihadi, Salal Abdelslam. I don't think that's... I don't think I'm that's, sure I'm precise on that. I, I'm not Salal sure Abdelslam. That looks like Abdelslam. Uh, I think that's Abdul Slam. Okay, let's anyway. go with Salah Abdul Slam. Yeah. What so about him? This guy, his wife, his ex-wife said that, uh, yeah, he wasn't all that uh, like uh, faithful. She said that this guy used to lay around getting uh, stoned all day, 
Never went to, the, to church. Never and went by to, stoned, you mean like smoking marijuana? Smoking a lot like of in marijuana. In that part of that country, getting stoned is a little... Oh, that's a good clarification. Yeah, he was sure. not having rocks heaped upon him. Okay, so yeah. he's smoking marijuana. Let's do that. Let me tell you. Thank you. His ex-wife said that he would lay around all day smoking marijuana and that he uh, just played video games. He didn't work. Uh, he went to a lot of gay bars. Um, whoa, did whoa, it, whoa. What? He went to gay bars too? Yes, he enjoyed gay sex. Um, uh, so, again, see, yeah, that's, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not, saying I'm not an expert on... I haven't actually read the Quran. I mean, I've read, like, pieces the and excerpts parts, you know, the people's stories about, but, um, yeah, I don't remember the, the gay sex part. And See, there's some... Unless I'm missing something about Islam, I don't know. So, please, help us out uh, and clarify this for us, because it, uh, from what I know, I would think that that would be against their faith. Hmm. So, going to a lot of gay bars, getting stoned... Not going to church, not going to uh, to church. That's going to be a problem. She said he uh, he drank a lot too. And See, I don't think they're supposed to supposed to drink alcohol. Right. Either. About the only thing missing from her description is he ate a whole lot of bacon. That was the only thing she missed in her description. Do we know if he had ever tried bacon? I don't know for sure. I don't know for sure, but hmm. that seems like uh, not really keeping with the Muslim faith. So then I have to question: um, How devout was he? Here's a guy who we're told, is so devout about his faith. Crazy as it may be, he's so devout, he is willing to kill himself, lead other people into mass murder, to slaughter people in the streets. Yet, can't be bothered to go to church or not smoke a bunch of dope or have sex with men. He can't hit those doctrines. He got the part that says, I'm going to blow myself up. I'm going to go ahead and do that and kill other people. But a gay sex too good. Smoking dope too good. I got to go do this, right? I, I don't want to paint with too broad of a brush. Okay. But, I mean, if ISIS is doing recruiting, and mm -hmm. if clearly they're, they're recruiting and worked on this Salah Abdul Slam. Abdul Slam. Salah Abdul Slam. Is this might be a theme of ISIS as they're out in tents? I don't know how they're recruiting if this is it. I mean, I get the video game stuff, you know. Are they targeting just gay men with the gay sex? It seems like a... Pretty wide swatch of people there, but um, it seems to me like maybe he wasn't all about the faith. It wasn't about that. If he was radicalized and suddenly became very serious about his faith toward the end there, what made him head down that path? How did he end up down that path? Well, I do believe it is about Islam, and I do believe there are some serious flaws in the religion and what people are doing and how it's being handled and how they're even policing their own faith. And there has to be a New Testament written if they really want to change and evolve, and it is about peace. I also know it's got to be about a couple of other things. Here's a guy who's not working, lazy, just wanted to have sex with men and smoke a bunch of dope. It's probably about a couple of other things, too. No, I'm not blaming it all on the economy, but, yeah, these are people who do not feel like they have a place in the world. I'm sure that's part of it. At least that's how they're able to recruit them. It's no secret uh, that that's how you brainwash people. Look at Hitler. Look at other people. What do you do? You go to people who do not have, have a, a huge flaw or gaping hole in their life, whether it's their family, their faith, their money, whatever it is. And they say, oh, don't worry. We'll make it better. It's okay. We can make it better. Here's how. Da, da, da. And you follow into this flawed doctrine. But you have to be able to get to them. They're not recruiting billionaires to go blow themselves up. Do you see the house of Saud? <laughs> Are they blowing themselves up? No, they're not doing that. 
I mean, you have some exceptions to the rule, but most of the people they radicalize are people they're able to get to because they go, your life sucks. Do you want it to be better? Here you go. Do this. It's about something greater than you. It's only a matter of time, though, before there's a special interest group that comes out and actually blames the new Call of Duty movie, uh, video game on ISIS. <laughs> now, if, if, if it weren't for that new Call of Duty, ISIS wouldn't be nearly where they are today. Well, no, because you've got people like even Prince Charles now blaming these terror attacks on global, global warming, climate change. That's what's responsible for it. That is such a BS stretch. I mean, setting aside all of the flaws with the claims of global warming and climate change, why not just blame... Um, oh, White privilege. It's probably white privilege. That's what's doing it as well. Come up with any other crazy bat crap claim from progressives. Why not just go ahead and plug that in? I'm sure they can find any way to make that work. White privilege. You want to know how that works? Here it is. The white privilege in America where the white man has this attitude that he can run and control everything. Old white Christian males in America. Mm -hmm. That's what led to all of this happening in the Middle East. If they haven't oppressed us all this time. I say that because that's what we're hearing out of these dopes at Mizu and other places. That's what you're hearing on college campuses. I'm stunned these people haven't been radicalized yet. They have been radicalized. Just, Just not, not by, by ISIS. ISIS. It's that's been by right. professors yeah. on campus. <laughs> right, exactly. No, I, I wonder if Prince Charles like really understands that the Middle East is always been really hot. I'm sorry, and, and what's that? It's always been really hot there. And it's you been, mean like it's the happening place, the hot new no, place to no, go? No, like with it's the... a desert and there's a lot of heat. Mm. It's a warm climate. They haven't really ever been able to grow crops there. And so it's not global warming or climate change or mm. that the climate is changing. So it's maybe, it's, maybe it's that it's changing away from being hot. Maybe, have you been to the Middle East? Have you hung out there? I've not. Have you I've done not the research? Been, Maybe it's been, off a little bit. I've Maybe it's changing research. a little bit. I've, I've read some Wikipedia some things articles. About that. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, you're right. If it's always been hot and they can't grow stuff and you're not going to have an easy life, that's a tough sell. That sounds like it's only selling to people in the West. But that's not a new thing, though. Right. Yeah. But, I mean, you see people in the West that are happy to go, oh, it's climate change. Oh, you're right. See. Yeah, exactly. see how they're being radicalized because of that. The price of almonds are going up. Yeah, meanwhile, people in the Middle East are like, listen, it's always been really, really, really hot here. Always really hot and crops they don't grow. I mean, Sam Kinison from the 80s told us, see this? You know what this is? This is sand. You know what? Stuff doesn't grow in the sand. Move. <laughs> you doing that? And also, too, I mean, we make the point that it's always been hot there and it's always been sand there. You know what there's also always been in the Middle East? Fighting. Okay, yeah, they've been, they've been, been fighting uh -huh. there for a while. So yeah, this is I mean, ISIS is just the new sheik. This is the new group. This is the in crowd right now who are in power. But yeah, they haven't been fighting over the religion though. No, I mean, they have it's always the... been fighting for oh. thousands and thousands mm. of years. So this isn't new, this isn't climate change. This is what the Middle East is. This is what they do. Do you realize how close the attitudes are with the people at Mizu and the other colleges where they're protesting all of this stuff now? See the ISIS people are are not right-wing extremists, as people would point you. Oh, they're like Nazis, they're right-wing. It's not right-wing. Listen, I'm right-wing, you know what I want? Less government. These people want more government and more government control. These people are more akin to the progressive attitudes of people on college campuses that are telling you, I heard that somebody may have heard something offensive to them, and therefore all hell's got to break loose. we got to shut it down. People got to get fired. We need a complete change of system here. Focus on the wrong things. They're more akin to that. There are people that want to control, do not believe in the First Amendment, do not believe in the Constitution at all, do not believe in personal freedoms. They want to tell you how to live. Now, so far, the people at Mizu have not 
created terrorist attacks on places like Paris. But why wouldn't they? A lot of these people believe in violence. They've even told that. They've told the pre, uh, people from the civil rights era, years gone by, shut up, sit down. That's old school. We don't want to hear from you. The new world, when fighting for civil rights, as they say, yeah, we got to use violence. So how far off are they? Those are the people that I worry about them radicalizing as far as ISIS goes or joining with them. Why wouldn't they? Doc and Skip in for Pat and Stu. Today we get some of your calls and tweets coming up. Thanks so much for joining us. Hate to do this to you, but I'm going to go ahead and lay it out there. Uh, President Obama had some thoughts on ISIS. Oh, jeez. And um, well, it's important you hear this. Uh, he said, "I don't know important. that it is that important." I, I hear think this. it's important, Skip. I think it's important for you to know that we should not overreact about ISIS. Overreact? Yes, he said it's important we don't overreact. Now, I have a little clip of the president here explaining overreaction. I want to be as clear as I can on this: prejudice and discrimination helps ISIL and undermines our national security. And so even as we destroy ISIL on the battlefield, and we will destroy them, we will take back land that they are currently in. We will cut off their financing. We will hunt down their leadership. We will dismantle their networks and their supply lines, and we will ultimately destroy them. Even as we are in the process of doing that, we want to make sure that we don't lose our own values and our own principles. It will be helpful if Russia directs its focus on ISIL. And I do think that as a consequence of ISIL claiming responsibility for bringing down their plane, uh, there is an increasing awareness on the part of uh, President Putin that uh, ISIL poses a greater threat to them than anything else in the region. So far, over the last several weeks, uh, when they started taking strikes in Syria, their principal targets have been the moderate opposition that they felt threatened Assad. Their principal goal appeared to be, if you follow the strikes that they took, to fortify the position of the Assad regime. The issue with Assad is not simply uh, the way that he has treated his people. It's not just a human rights issue. It's not just uh, a question of, of supporting uh, somebody who's been uh, ruthlessly uh, dropping bombs on uh, his own civilian populations. As a practical matter, it is not conceivable that Mr. Assad can regain legitimacy in a country in which a large majority of that country despises uh, Assad, and will not stop fighting so long as he's in power. Uh, okay, so just to clarify, we will uh, be cutting off their supply lines. We will beat them on the battlefield. We will give them wet willies and swirlies. Trust me, the bird baths and the noogies will continue until they are... 
What, what does that mean? You're going to do all this stuff. Number one, when are you going? We will? When is will? Two weeks from Tuesday? A year and a half from now? 17 years? When are we going to do this? And the obvious follow-up question then is, why haven't we done it already? Well, let me, let me offer some clarification. When he says that he will attack them on the battlefield, he will go after the supply lines, what he really means is, I'm going to go ahead and give information to France so they can go and attack them on the battlefield, so they can cut off the supply lines. Well, he sounded all John Wayne-esque there. We will defeat them and we will. He's doing all this. When? Why haven't you done it already? Talk is cheap. Go do it. Kick a little butt and then come talk to me. We're going to do it. It took the bombing in France. Seriously? Why didn't you do it two weeks ago and maybe France wouldn't have been attacked? Well, and Obama at this point is so concerned about a legacy of, of having to go in and actually have to start another war like George W. Bush did. So he's going to do everything he can to avoid the appearance of that. This was and is from President Obama complete crap. That's what this is. This is all BS. This is of his making. Number one, President Obama does not have a clear-cut plan, nor has he ever in Syria. He doesn't. Number two, he has thought over the years that Assad's a good guy. He's been, he's been friends with him. John Kerry, his Secretary of State, used to dine with the Assads. He and Teresa having dinner at fancy places with them. President Obama was friends with him, said he's a good guy. He's our ally. Then he was a bad guy. Then he's a good guy. Then he's a bad guy. Where are we now? I think as of now, he's a bad guy. He's a bad guy again. But early next quarter, I think he goes back to being good. The problem is most Americans that are sitting around just watching pictures of Kim Kardashian's ass today has no idea of the flip-flops, has no idea where, a Syria, uh, where Syria is, has no idea of the failures here. That was all crap. He hasn't done it. He won't do it. I don't think he can do it. But he's going to talk a good game so Democrats can get elected so his legacy looks real good. Anything he says about Assad whoop, is gone. When you flip-flop that many times, how do you have any credibility left with Assad? You don't. You don't at that point. We don't. America doesn't. I, I think he's lost all credibility with that because there's not consistency there. It's all based off of the weather, whether or not this is a nation who we can be friendly with or a leader we can be friendly with or whether he's dangerous. President Obama went on to say, as far as ISIS goes, we can't overreact, too, because they can't inflict a mortal wound. A, a mortal wound? A mortal wound. What does he mean by that? Uh, I would assume he means that uh, even if they do attack us, they're not going to be able to completely destroy us or, or collapse America to a point uh, where we wouldn't be able to bounce back. A, mor a mortal blow, actually. But they can't inflict a mortal blow. So he's okay with everything up to that? Was 9-11 a mortal blow? Did 9-11 destroy America? Skip Lacombe. No, I mean, it was a horrible terrorist attack. It definitely Very changed bad. America. A lot of people mm -hmm. died. But no, it was not a mortal blow. America survived. But really bad. Very bad. Yeah. Okay. President Obama's okay with that then. Don't worry, you're overreacting. Because they can't inflict a, mor a mortal blow. 9-11 stuff is fine. That's really what he said here. Yes, I, I think he's, first of all, right about overreacting. But to say, don't worry because they can't inflict a mortal blow is naive. Incredibly naive. But even if that were the case, so you're fine with everything leading up to a mortal blow? A 9-11? How about seven 9-11s in the same week? You okay with that? Well, and I think more to his point of saying that we can't, they, can't inflict, they can't inflict a mortal blow. It's more because of the fact that like Obama's like, I got that covered myself in terms of <laughs> a mortal blow to America in terms of trying to destroy her at a place where we can't come back. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Maybe he got? means something got? else. What is blow to Obama? 
Oh, from his days in college. In college, college days, he's a mortal candy. blow. He's like, listen, they're not going to spike our cocaine. They can't spike our cocaine. Snort all you want, college students. Maybe that's what he means. It's not going to be mortal blow. No, you're good. It's all clean. They can't get to all of it. You think that could be it, possibly? Possible. I don't know. It makes as much sense as they can't inflict a mortal blow. How do you know they can't? How do you know? That, that is incredible arrogance. Yeah, they could. If they, if they uh, position things right, correctly. Okay, and what would be a mortal blow? What would constitute the death of America? Somebody else running in America, a shredding of the Constitution. That, that's what I would consider a mortal blow to America and American values, wouldn't you? If they, they write, raised the ISIS flag at the White House and we're all uh, Done. converted to Muslim. Right. To Islam. Yeah, I mean, okay, fine. I think that's pretty arrogant. They could take down the economy. A series of one, two, three punches. I mean, 9-11, wow, did that do damage to the economy and everything. Can you imagine if another 9-11 had happened two years later? I think how different a country we are today versus 14 years ago. You're right. Accepting things like the Patriot Act and whatever it's else. crazy. By the way, I have another clip of Obama. Sorry. Dude. Sorry, sorry. Another clip I have to play for you. This one, the president is talking to some young Asian leaders. And... Uh, once again, tells them of all the problems in America. Uh, right now, our political system does not work as well as it should. And when I, when I, what I would say to young leaders, what sort of pitfalls should you avoid? Uh, I would say, number one, uh, it is very important uh, to avoid any political system where money overwhelms ideas. And the United States political process has become so expensive and it lasts so long. And, and, and even though I was successful in it, um, you know, I, we, we spent you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in television advertising and in you know, all the things that go into a U.S. presidential campaign. But it's also true for members of Congress, uh, and when politicians have to raise so much money all the time, then they start listening a little bit more to the people who have money as opposed to ordinary people. And that, I think, is a danger that can be avoided by the system that you set up to make sure that uh, campaigns are not reliant just on money. The system that got him elected yeah. and his ideas that, of course transcend all of the bad it's perfect that system that's flawed you can't do that they had to spend hundreds of millions of dollars it's horrible it, it got him elected it worked for me though by the way he's a rich guy yes who takes a lot of money and has over the years from those really really wealthy people that he points a finger at and says they control too much not to mention the president comes out and says uh -huh. you know right now we have a political system that doesn't work very well this is a political system you've been running for seven years mr president yeah a question uh, over well. here that's on you bro i have a question over yeah, here doc, uh doc, doc thompson, thompson in the corner uh blaze radio network blaze yeah, tv you have a question yeah that's um is there anything the president could do to change the political system i know he's just one really small piece of american politics he's way down in the food no, chain is there not. anything he 
could do. Skip Lacombe to change. He's the head of our government. And, he, huh. and he'll issue executive action on anything else. <laughs> he'll issue executive action there. And not to mention, I'll, I'll, I'll even give him on right. the one time, the first time that he ran for president in uh, 2008. Yeah. Okay, that's fine. You have to go and play into the system. After four years of being there and being the president, you should have fixed that. So the second time, you didn't have to run hundreds of millions of dollars in television advertising. That was a mm -hmm. billion-dollar campaign he put out. Both Mitt Romney and, uh, and uh, Obama spent a billion dollars. I'm thinking maybe he could just lead by example and not continue attacking the other side. I don't know about that, that you change the political too, system. This is incredible that he says these things and nobody calls him on it. Nobody's like, excuse me, dude, um, you're doing the same crap. I don't know. Just one person stand up and go, you're doing the same crap and continue to do the same crap. Anybody? It's amazing to me. All right, quick break. Back with more on the uh, Patents Due program. Doc and Skip pinch hitting today, tomorrow, and Wednesday. Doc Thompson and Skip Lacombe pinch hitting for Patents Due Today. If you would, please follow us on Twitter. It's at Doc Thompson Show and at Skip Lacombe. And uh, tell us what you learned throughout the program with the hashtag What I Learned Today. We're regularly heard on the Blaze Radio Network, Eastern Time, 6 a.m. to 9 a.m., Monday through Friday. So please check that out as well. You can listen to the program anytime you want, though. It's theblaze.com slash doc. So on demand, it's theblaze.com the slash doc and skip. It's the new I think it's way too confusing because it means a little and sign or whatever. Dude, when you say Doc, it's up on screen. It says Doc and Skip. You look like a moron. Let me, let me save you seven characters. You can just type slash Doc and it'll work too. Theblaze.com slash Doc. Or you could type in the extra character. I wonder if the, we should need to get theblaze.com slash Skip to go there too. What's that the way. What's the point? It's still an extra character off of the Doc. You have that time to type in an extra character all the time? Just, I'm just saying it's, it's easier. But you could, you could check that. You could bookmark it. That's a good point. Just you know, get used to go on there. But uh, throughout our program in the morning, we use that hashtag, what I learned today. People really interactive with Twitter. So we're fairly familiar with the way Twitter works. Something happened during the Paris attack and afterwards that's really, really cool. Specifically over the weekend, the uh, police in Belgium said, hey, we're hunting this terrorist, so we don't want people talking about some of the stuff we're doing. Radio silence. Yeah, the Belgian police asked for radio silence on Twitter, and they were using a hashtag Brussels lockdown for police and uh, people around the area to disseminate information back and forth about what was going on. That way, if there was anything actually happening, they'd be able to use this hashtag to get quick information. So think, please, we need radio silence on this hashtag only for emergencies. You know, as, as people generally do, you know, in these serious situations, they... Uh, they start tweeting cat memes. <laughs> what is with the kids? Is that just like the ultimate annoying thing you can tweet? Is that what it is? You don't like cat memes? No, I'm saying cat I do. I'm just hilarious. saying they tweet cat memes, though, because people find it annoying or it's just funny. Yeah, I, or? I, I guess it was just being ridiculous. So police okay. are asking people. And whenever police come out and say, hey, listen, guys, don't do this, okay? We need you not to do this. People are going to do it. So they flooded the Internet with cat memes on this hashtag, Brussels Lockdown. We actually have some of those images, too. This is really, really funny. Uh, the only thing I didn't like is Twitter started doing it then. 
Twitter went Twitter big. Went? Yeah, Twitter actually started doing it. I think from from Company Central as well started flooding it as well. Is actually, that the way you say? Yeah, we got. We must not let fear win with cat. <laughs> Reading the art of military strategy. Hashtag Brussels lockdown. Now, come on, that is hilarious. I just wonder if any of them are reading like the art of war along with it. That probably. would be probably a smart thing. Fierce to do. Belgian police squad in action. They will hunt you down. Now, if those cats were out like controlling, actually, that's probably a, 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 a better group of people that is hunting terrorists mm -hmm, here. Mm -hmm. That's probably a really solid thing there. That's great though. This is how Belgium fights terrorism. Zorro. <laughs> it's Zorro cat there. No, it's Puss in Boots. Oh, is it Puss in Boots? Yeah, it's Puss in no, Zorro right. cat. Yeah, it looks, well. Zorro. Look at the hat. That's not a Spanish hat. That's not know, a Mexican hat. That's a French hat. When I think, th a French hat? That's what oh, I think. Oh, when I think, think the little uh, uh, sword like that, it looks like a, you're right, it's Puss in Boots. But it's Puss in Boots. Look, he's got boots on. And he's a, a puss. Didn't, didn't Zorro wear a cape? I don't know. He had a mask. I think he did. But Puss in Boots did too. And that's a, clearly a French sword. Look at this. Come on. Seriously, though. I love that, though. Whenever there's these big uh, uh, police are saying, please don't, please don't, people are going to do that. Oftentimes, too, one of my favorite things is when a company will come up with a hashtag to promote something within their company, and it ends up going uh, the opposite <laughs> way. I tell that. Like, uh, some company's like, ours is the best. and then There was just, just one big one recently about that. I'm trying to remember what it was. Was it a politician that tried to use it? Some have gone very, very wrong, though. You're right. They well, think it's going to be a, a good a thing. A good example. Jeb can fix it. Uh, Jeb That's Bush the one. Announced his new, uh, his new slogan was going to be Jeb can fix it. And, of course, that hashtag started trending. And not all of them were for Jeb Bush. No. Like, in most fact, of most, them were not Yeah, for most Jeb of them Bush. were not. It was a huge. First of all, it's a stupid slogan and a stupid idea. But nobody in his, in his camp was smart enough to go, hold on a second. People can be um, difficult on social media. They can write some things that are off maybe not what you want it's not you in other words you're not going to control it once you got to social media you're not going to control it but that's by itself that says that jeb makes bad decisions he shouldn't be president if your people if you were putting people around you that don't know enough that that you're going to lose control of social media seriously you are not fit to lead at this point you really are not you do not understand how the world in america works and again an obvious point nobody in his campaign office thought that the man who was accused of possibly rigging an election in florida for his brother Wants to use the slogan, Jeb can fix it. Yeah, because another word for rig is... Fix! The fix is in! <laughs> I fixed it! He can fix the whole thing. The election was fixed! Yeah, that's not good at all. So, in fact, go ahead and feel free and uh, let people know what Jeb can fix. We still use that for fun from time to time. Uh, thanks for joining us today. We've still got an extra hour, another hour of Pat and Stu. Coming up next hour, we're going to tell you about something really important as part of the Veterans Administration and what we're doing to help veterans. Today, thanks so much for joining us. There are some bizarre and amazing statistics out about Bill and Hillary Clinton that if you haven't seen, it blew me away. The, the amount of money that they have raised over the years, the connections they have, it probably 
the the numbers will probably astonish you, but not the connections or what is likely going on behind the scenes, right? I mean, we, we know what Bill and Hillary are, right? No, they've been part of that machine for, for many, many years. I mean, they, they've created this system going all the way back to Arkansas of, of collecting donors and building this network that will let them, you know, run empires, and that's what they've done. I mean, Bill obviously got elected to the presidency. Hillary is, you know, likely going to get the nomination. She's been the Secretary, Senator, of, State. Secretary Se of State. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, over and over. Think about that. The new, the new numbers that people have put together show that over the years, if you go all the way back to the early, early Bill Clinton campaigns, and you add up all the money, and you add up all the donors that they have established over the years, that all of their campaigns, they have raised over $3 billion. $3 billion from donors to campaigns. That is stunning. In today's world, as Skip mentioned last hour, the last election cost a billion dollars. Is that right, to put uh, yeah, it in perspective? Uh, yeah, from each candidate, yeah. Each candidate spent $1 billion. Okay, that's now. You gotta remember, Bill Clinton, when he got elected to the presidency, was how long ago, right? That, that's what they ended up. So $3 billion over all their campaigns? That's an incredible amount of money. And this network of donors is in, what, 336,000 people, companies, organizations that they're connected with? I mean, the information age, we, we learned as the information age dawned how important information is. Back in the day, People weren't worried about their identity being stolen or anything like that. I mean, who cares? That's not, that's not valuable. Well, now we realize that is valuable. So just having that network of 336,000 people that you can connect to, most of them very influential people with deep pockets, shows the level of power they have. It shows what it's really like behind the scenes as part of well, the empires. No, being part of that elite, being part of that system too. And actually, I think the uh, the, the, the <clears throat> two billion of that two billion of the three billion has actually been donations that have been raised by the uh, Clinton Global Foundation too, which is one of the fastest growing charities since it's been around. Which and they've done a bunch of expose work on that, realizing that not a lot of the money that goes into the Clinton Foundation ever actually makes it to helping people. It goes to travel and goes to salaries. How come people don't care more about this? Why doesn't this matter to so many more people on the left even? I mean, you, I get Bill is a hero of yours and Hillary's a hero of yours. Well, heroes of mine, if you tell me something factual, if you prove factually the heroes I have are wrong about something, I don't hide it. I don't lie about it. Depending upon how bad it is, they're no longer a hero of mine and I'm not going to support them for, in a case like this, political office. I'm going to speak truth. Why is it we don't get that level of honesty from people on the left? Why? I don't know, because I think people don't hold them accountable. There's never actually been the accountability for that, too. People just accept the bad. So do you think they don't know that they're unwilling to listen or ah, that's just somebody making those numbers up or telling you something that isn't true? Is it that because they don't want to believe it? I think it's a combination of that. I think that that's probably part of it, a, a, a lack of understanding and just a lack of care. They're just willing to accept it because it's better than, in their mind, the other guy. And so that's, a, that's a lot of the reasons, too, why people still said you had to support people like Mitt Romney for president, too, even though he's not a conservative. It's, well, we can't vote for Obama. 
there's more than that options there, but you have to actually hold these people accountable, and you don't get that on the left like you do on the right. You don't get on, to, on the right to the extent that you probably should, but you don't get any of it on the left. There's a handful of people I like that are running for president right now, some more than others, and even the ones that I like, I still have a lot more vetting to do. I need to know a lot more about them, but one of the people that I, that I really like is Ted Cruz. We've met Ted Cruz. Most of his ideas are very solid. He's been solid uh, in the Senate. His track record is very good from my perspective. Um, I'm going to already be in the 90 percentile of what I know with him. And that's great. If you don't like him, that's fine as well. But my point is, if they came to me and said, look at this, look at all this stuff about Ted Cruz, I'm not going to, ah, get out of here. That's not true. If it's true, it's true. I'm not going to, you know, uh, buy a bunch of rumors or innuendo or conjecture. But if it's true, then I am no longer going to support him. Why don't we get that? We know this of Bill and Hillary. It's, you'd say, oh, Benghazi's made up, which we know the truth about it. But it's not just Benghazi. Over and over and over again, moral failures, legal failures, scandals, bad government, bad policies go down the list, and not one of them, dozens upon dozens, heaped upon the American people for decades. And still people support these knuckleheads. Because, again, they, they don't care. They're willing to go ahead and take that back. <clears throat> Just the amount of money that's involved with it, too. I mean, the president was saying last, uh, uh, last hour that there's too much money in this politics-type system, too. And then you have numbers like this coming out, that the Clintons have raised $3 billion. And some of the people, too, that have donated the most, like their biggest contributor, uh, Haim Shaban and Sher his wife Cheryl, too, the chairman of Univision, has made 39 contributions totaling $2.4 million. <laughs> What's your... Why? Why is that? Why is that? Anybody donate to a campaign? Do people donate to campaigns just because they love the people and want to see those ideas and values? Well, on the grassroots level, yeah, that's what a lot of people do. If you're just an average person out there and you say, really, I really support Marco Rubio or Ted Cruz or somebody, and I'm going to go ahead and give them $40. Okay, you probably want them to support the ideas that you support. But you're not saying, finally, if they pass this law, I'll benefit from it personally, financially. My company will boom. That's, that's not what you're thinking. These people, big money donors, they only and exclusively donate to people because they're getting something back. That's one of the things Donald Trump has gotten right. They, they call you up and say, hey, donate. So they will have your, uh, the, uh, people like Donald Trump have donated in the past so they can call up the politicians afterwards and say, hey, I need you to look into this for me. They have their number. Well, it's even like Trump had said, too. He says uh, um, after he donated money, too, he called Hillary Clinton, told her to be at his wedding. <laughs> she was at his wedding. Right, exactly. It seems like a weak one to want, I know. but I mean, when your ego's huge, okay. Money. First of all, would you really want Hillary? But that's regardless. I think you'd waste it on something you know, a little more important. No, but you, you can't tell me that these people that have made these large donations to Hillary Clinton over the years or to Bill Clinton over the years haven't gotten anything, no back scratching at all over the course of all that time. Come on, it just doesn't make sense. What does the head of Univision want from a president or a senator or a secretary of state? Why would they donate to campaigns like this? What, what does he get out of it? What is he hoping for? His ideas or values? No, specifically something for his company, possibly something for his company where you say, hey, uh, I may need a favor about broadcast down the road or whatever, still benefits his company. That's wrong, whether you're Democrat or Republican, that they can call in favors like this. But what is Univision also? What is one of their flagship issues that they beat the drum about every stinking day? Immigration. Immigration. The divide between... Mexicans and Americans and other Hispanics, illegals, all of this stuff, supporting that divide, what does that do to them? 
Well, first of all, the more Spanish people we get into America, the more they're going to grow. The more influence they have in government, the more it helps Univision. The more they divide us, the more people watch Univision, so their ratings go up and they can sell more advertising. Is this the type of person you want donating to a campaign? You tell me they donated a bunch of money to Ted Cruz, that's a little red flag for me. No, absolutely. It just doesn't make any sense. Look at who the donors are. It's not just the big money donors, or there's a lot of them. It's who they are. Who do you owe favors to down the road? A lot of it is companies that you may support. Companies you go, oh, it's just a uh, product I use, a hair product or food or something processed you eat, you feed to your family, you know, maybe something you wash your clothes with. Those companies are donating big money. What do they want? Why would they donate to people? Somehow down the road, it's going to benefit them. So I have serious questions about that. That's one thing President Obama was right. He's disingenuous about it, but he's right. The money in politics is a huge problem, gargantuan problem. The, the corporations that are running America that support things like war effort just so they can make a bunch of money. These are huge problems. This is one thing that those smelly, disgusting vermin that took over Wall Street, Occupy Wall Street, those people that were in parks all over America, you know, the, the rich kids who left mom and dad's house and slept out as a giant candle, camp, camp over and decided to have a bunch of sex and drugs while sleeping out there for months on end, the Occupy Wall Street folks, one of the few things they actually got right is corporations are a problem in America. Not because they're corporations or believe in business or support their business. That's fine. I do as well. That's good. The fact that they're not capitalists. They're cronyists. These are people who say, we are going to spend our money to try to legislate our competition out of business or spend our money to legislate benefits to our company. That's not capitalism. Capitalism is you present good products and good ideas that are better than other people's or the marketing's better and you will benefit. The competition is good and you will rise to the occasion and offer a better product, better service, or better marketing. Not better spending and buying better, more powerful politicians. Look at the Clinton Global, Global Foundation. That's enough right there that should make you say, hey, Bill and Hillary, a huge problem. Huge problem. They raise $2 billion. They spend very little of those dollars on actually helping people. Instead, they spend it on, although the Clintons don't take a salary, they get free travel. Free travel. Wouldn't you like free travel? It What's that expense? Their pocketbook. I mean, they right. don't have to actually pay from their own funds. The only good news about that is at least they're traveling on the people who donated their campaign as opposed to traveling on the taxpayers like Hillary did as Secretary of State or a Senator or Bill did as President. Right? I mean, at least they're getting the money to travel someplace else. These poor, poor people who were broke after leaving the White House got $2 billion. They spent very little of it to help people. Oh, give to Haiti. Bill's down there with the Haitians. Look at how horrible it is. If they had just dumped $2 billion on the Haitian people, went down there and said, we are going to build water treatment plants, we are going to build new neighborhoods and schools, what would that look like? They would have transformed Haiti. You're not talking about 320 billion people over, you know, half of the size of the United States or something. It's relatively small and by comparison, relatively few people. What could they have done with $2 billion? But they haven't gotten that. They've gotten pennies on the dollar. So the Clintons could suck it all up to continue to live their lifestyle while telling most of America, we need to redistribute stuff because some people have too much money. The flaws are incredible. Look at the disparity. 
Just a uh, purely hypothetical question here. Um, how much money do you think that I would have to donate to a Ted Cruz to get a favor should he one day become president? Um, probably a whole lot. More than you have to get the favor, you know, at that level. You know, yeah. like, what, like, Assuming Ted would do it. 5000 maybe? I'm guessing it's probably more than that. Or you, you, you sponsor some sort of fundraiser at your house where they bundle. You have to be a bundler, stuff like that. So I could have a fundraiser at my apartment and have people come over and I can maybe cook for them. And, uh... Listen, uh, mac and cheese and frozen TV dinners and stuff, that's probably not going to get it done for you. I'll, I'll throw it out like a soup, you know, like a chicken noodle soup maybe. And, and who are you inviting over? I, I, lo, local people in you town. Invite me. I got no money. Well, that's a good point. Who do you know that has money? Um, uh, Glenn Beck might me possibly want to. Glenn's not doing anything you say smartly. He's not. He's not doing it. He's, you might set your sights a little bit lower, like a town councilman. Okay, now something see, like that. So if I need like a stoplight put in somewhere, possibly. I could, okay, yes. see, now or taken it. out because I that's, prefer them that's taken why, out. That's why I do the show with you. That's it. That's the that's the, the plan you. right there. Speaking of the Clinton Global Foundation, I don't know if you know of any of the other flaws. You know who used to run it? They're, they're a friend of, of Chelsea's. A friend of Chelsea's who had no experience doing this was propped up as the head of the Clinton Global Initiative. Well, I don't see a huge problem with that, considering that the Global uh, Fund, uh, Clinton Global Fund doesn't actually do anything. Why, why, should, <laughs> why should the person who's running it have to be any knowledge or have any experience? Because they're not... They're not going to do anything either. You, you got me, Lacombe. You got me. You're right. If they're not doing anything anyways, what the hell does it matter? Yeah, this is a friend of Chelsea's. This, this doesn't raise any red flags to you. A friend of your daughter's, you prop him up. Why would they put him in as opposed to something with more knowledge? He was relatively young as well. They want somebody they can control. Somebody close enough to the family. You're in the circle, you know, inside the circle of trust. At least one of the rings. I don't well, know yeah, how, in like that or whatever. That's the game they play. The numbers are incredible. And now, it looks like um, there's some questions about who has donated to Hillary Clinton's campaign, including a mysterious gentleman from Turkey, a mysterious Turkish man. You know, part of the problem with the Obama campaign was there were all these donations that came in from outside of America, which is not legal, but they still came in anyways. What's the goal? What does the world care? Right? They want those progressive ideas. Shouldn't happen. There should be greater control over this stuff. But now this gentleman from Turkey who has questionable backgrounds, secretive backgrounds, what does this guy want? What's his plan? We're going to dive into some of that coming up. We'll also get some of your calls. 888-727-BECK. That's 888-727-BECK. Dial us up. And, of course, you can follow us on Twitter. It's at Doc Thompson Show or at Skip Lacombe. And use that hashtag, what I learned today. Now, I know you want to see Jeffy using a blowtorch. Who doesn't? Uh, for more awesome, uh, for, uh, for awesome gifts for men, check out mancrates.com, and I want you to check this out. You had one job. Ta-da! Ah! Pistachios, Aldasta pans, glasses with stew on oh, them, man. ice ball molds, artisan peppercorn blistered nuts. It's like slate. Beef jerky. Oh, feel spicy. Alive. Uh, <laughs> Blair's death sauce. Death, sudden death, <laughs> original death. And jalapeno death. Oh, oh, yeah. Potato chips. I don't know um, for sure. 
what drives President Obama, Hillary Clinton, or any of these people. I've never met them, but based on their, their actions and their track records and the things that they supposedly believe and they do, um, I can draw a pretty good picture. And my opinion of President Obama is that this is a guy who is driven by ideology, and it's an ideology very different than mine and yours, and even many of the progressives in America. It is a secular ideology about one world government order that is very um, totalitarian with a couple of people who know better and are smarter. But I believe he's really driven by that ideology, and he's not so interested in lining his own pockets. Of course, that's going to be a spoil that comes along with it, but that's not his main focus. The Clintons, on the other hand, although liberal and progressive, I think that they are mainly driven by their selfish needs, that they want and have power and money. Sure, they ideologically believe with President Obama on many things, but I think they're more driven about themselves. Having said that, there's something very, very odd going on. There is this secret group or money or movement that is funding part of Hillary's campaign. Skip, explain what this, this Muslim cleric in America is all right, well, yeah, there's this, there's this Turkish Islamic group that is actually at the center of a ethics, uh, House Ethics Committee investigation, and apparently there have been hundreds of thousands of dollars donated to Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign coming from this group. Now, the largest donation came from a, uh, a man named Recep Ozcan, who is part of this group um, called the Gulen Movement. And this Gulen Movement has a, a church or a fellowship in Pennsylvania's Ponico Mountains, and it's run by Fatula Gulen. Now, all these hundreds of thousands of dollars have come from uh, people who have been um, part of this group and part of this organization. The question is, why? What is this group, this secretive Turkish Islamic group, donating hundreds of thousands of dollars to a former Secretary of State's uh, presidential campaign certainly seems kind of suspect, I would say. I mean, just think about that a moment. First of all, you've got, you've got these groups operating in the mountains of Pennsylvania. Really? I mean, Pennsylvania, you're talking about, you know, at least part of Pennsylvania, Appalachian country. I mean, this is traditional American values at their finest, right? I mean, isn't it? And this guy's operating there. So that's just bizarreness right there. But then hundreds of thousands of dollars, potentially, into the Hillary Clinton campaign. Skip asked the question, so what do they want? What do they get out of it? Well, let's say for a moment, Ted Cruz becomes president. And people on the left, many Muslims in America would, oh, that Ted Cruz, he's just one of them Christians. He wants to you know, round up all uh, uh, Muslims and take them down and whatever. Ted Cruz isn't going to do that. Ted Cruz was even asked about Donald uh, Trump's initial statement about rounding up all Muslims. And he said, I don't support that. I've spent my whole life fighting and supporting the Constitution, which includes freedom of religion, so I wouldn't support something like that. My point is, if this guy gave to Ted Cruz, or didn't give to Hillary, you know, fight against Ted Cruz or, or people on the right, what happens? What happens in his mind if a Ted Cruz, a Marco Rubio, whoever gets elected, that would be bad for him? Nothing bad would come from him just being Muslim or running an organization that supports Muslim ideas. Nothing's going to happen. I mean, we're not suggesting that we round up Muslims, shut down all mosques. There's no legitimate suggestions for that. There's some fringe people or people that have even said maybe we monitor, but that's not going to happen. So why would he be so passionate against the Republicans or a Ted Cruz, for example? So therefore, his money giving to Hillary Clinton can't be just, oh, I don't like those right-wing guys because they're Christian and they're going to take out all Muslims. That's not, that's not even a part of it. 
His goal in giving to Hillary Clinton has to be, I get something. And it's not just a benefit for all Muslims, as I've already explained. The, le- the right, the Republicans, are not going to hurt Muslims in America. Does that make sense? No, absolutely. Well, and this Fatullah Gulen has actually been on the radar for a little while. 60 Minutes actually did an expose back in 2013, it was. Um, yeah, apparently this guy's been opening charter schools all across the country, too. And we actually have a couple of clips from that 60 Minutes expose, a little more on who this Turkish cleric Fatullah Gulen is. Over the past decade, scores of... Schools have popped up all over the U.S., all sharing some common features. Most of them are high-achieving academically. They stress math and science. And one more thing, they're founded and largely run by immigrants from Turkey who are carrying out the teachings of a Turkish Islamic cleric, Fatullah Gulen. He's the spiritual leader of a growing and increasingly influential force in the Muslim world known as the Gulen Movement with millions upon millions of disciples who compare him to Gandhi and Martin Luther King. Gulen promotes tolerance, interfaith dialogue, and above all, he promotes education. And yet he's a mystery man. He's never seen or heard in public. And the more power he gains, the more questions are raised about his motives and the schools. This is really, really creepy, odd and creepy. Okay, they compare him to Gandhi or uh, Martin Luther King. Where is he? How come we don't know more about him? Why so secretive then? Why is it a secret Turkish Islamic group? Right. And if you're donating that amount of money to Hillary Clinton, for what? Because he supports, uh, supports tolerance and diversity? Well, wait a minute. The other side is for that. Republicans are for that. They're not going to round you up. Go and do your thing. What do you get out of it? There has to be something else to this. Yeah, even if he is, and for all we know, maybe he is completely moderate, completely pro-Western, is, would completely disavow anything with these security threats. But again, what is it that the Democrats are offering him that he doesn't think he could get from the Republicans? And listen, if there's something I don't understand, I'll interview this guy in my radio show. We'll put him on Patton's Stew program. Hey, uh, Fatula, come on down. We'll, we'll interview you. We'll try to hear you out on this stuff. But the fact is, he's pretty secretive on this. In fact, here's one more clip from 60 Minutes. Maybe this will help understand him and their ideas a little bit better. To his followers, Gulen's like a living prophet. And he used his influence to change the course of Turkey's politics, helping to make it a functioning, moderate Islamic democracy. One thing we couldn't find in Turkey was Gulen. Actually, very few people ever see him in person. He preaches via webcast from a prayer room in an isolated and unlikely location. For over a decade, Gulen has been living in self-imposed exile and seclusion in, of all places, the Poconos, in this gated Pennsylvania retreat. So does Mr. Gulen live in this building? Yes, in this building. To our surprise, Bekir Aksoy, who heads the retreat, invited us in, even though Gulen had turned us down for an interview. So this is the prayer room. Oh, is that Mr. Gulen's seat, his chair? Right. Whenever he comes out, out of his room, he sits there and he speaks from there. And that's where he lives, behind that door? That is the door behind which Mr. Gulen lives. That is his private room. Gulen lives there alone. He's never married. The pile of medicine bottles are a reminder that at 70-plus, he's diabetic with heart and kidney problems. Will he come out? Will we get to see him? Uh, 
For the last five, six months, he is very, very ill, really. When he is ill, he does not accept visitors. When Gulen came to the U.S. in 1999, it was for medical treatment. But then this video surfaced, in which he seemed to order his flock to surreptitiously take over key government positions in Turkey in a stealth Islamic coup. Accused of treason by the government at the time, Gulen decided to stay in the Poconos, even after he was cleared in 2008 in absentia. Wow, okay. The, at See, very that's just least, more questions. <laughs> and a whole lot more. Remember, the person they just told you about, that they just described on 60 Minutes, has donated large sums of money to Hillary Clinton. And the biggest question overall is, why? What does he get out of it? Could be fine. Second question, biggest question I have is, why so secretive? And the fact that they're like, he's been really sick so you can't see him. This starts making me think of uh, the movie Dave. Oh, it makes yeah. me think of it. Weekend at Bernie's. Weekend been, at Bernie's. They've been just kind of Weekend at Bernie and him coming out, too, as he's been preaching on his webcast. No, no, no. Seriously. Take over. It's fine. Very ill. Very ill. Yeah. I just, uh, why wouldn't they? This, that's, that's very, very strange with her. Um, I mean, it, are they responsible for anything horrible? Is he doing anything horrible? I don't know. Maybe not. But I have learned this over the years. If somebody is secretive about something, it's usually not good. There's a reason they want it hidden. I mean, the, the, the light of truth is something you can trust. Hidden? Not always. So just tell us the truth. Tell us why. Have, have, and in their donations to Hillary, in their, do you just call up and go, oh, there's a bag of money I left for you. Have a good day. Right? Here's a check. I put it in the mail. No, there's going to be, the bigger the amounts of money, the more connected you are, there's going to be some conversations. What has Hillary said to this guy? What has what the campaign said to, to him? Don't worry, we'll do what? Or thanks for the check, got to run. What's, what's the conversation like? How did they meet him? Did he just call him up one day and say, hey, I'd like to donate a large sum of money, and of course then you're going to meet somebody? Do they know somebody else? And what does he have planned for all of these Turkish schools that he has opened? Are they all over America? Why don't you hear more about them? These are all questions. If it was out in the open, if there was more information on it, if this guy was more front and center about the stuff, I'd have less, less questions about it. You want to open up schools religious-based, I don't care if they're Hindu or Jewish or Christian or whatever, that's fine. If you're not flying planes into buildings or attacking uh, people in Paris, any other terrorist activities, that's fine. But I have a question about this stuff. Certainly when we're out looking at everybody on the right, it, right now in America, when you say, oh, the IRS has been used to spy on people on the right, extra audits done, all of the extra claims that anybody that's ever been to a tea party is part of some sort of um, uh, potential threat to the government, you never hear anything about this guy. Has the IRS looked into him? I got to say, I'm a little, a little frustrated at this point now, too, you know, because, I mean, we're, we're in Thanksgiving week now at this point, and all this talk about this Turkish group, it's... I just kind of want turkey. Let me just get a break in here. Skip and I have been working on a campaign to fix the VA. Hashtag fix the VA. We're going to give you details about that and how you can help give veterans and get veterans what they earn. Details coming up on Pat and Steel.
Zach Thompson of Skip McCollum, pitch hitting for Pat and Stu today. Thanks so much for joining us. We started a campaign on our morning radio program. And if you're not familiar with us, we're on the Blaze Radio Network, Monday through Friday, 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern Time. Please check it out at theblaze.com slash doc. And Skip. As part of this, um, as part of what we do in the morning, we often will talk about a lot of things that are wrong in the government. And as you may know, the Veterans Administration has failed over and over again. What with that whole killing veterans, specifically in the Phoenix VA system. And I had talked about the failures of the VA for years, since all the way back from when I was a child, that I had some, some cousins who had to go through the VA system to get their medical benefits, some older cousins, uh, one specifically was in Vietnam, and it was horrible the way he was treated. And I always remembered that and I always thought, why is this? If this guy was promised this, and it never made any sense to me. So as I grew up and ended up on the air and I would talk about these failures of the Veterans Administration, I finally just lost it one morning when we found out the details of the veterans who'd been killed in the Phoenix VA and said, Skip, we have to do something about this. And I'm tired of just, oh, the government uh, saying, oh, we'll fire some people or move them around and we'll do something and nothing ever changes. So Skip and I said, we are going to do everything we can to hashtag fix the VA. If you're on Twitter or Facebook, hashtag fix the VA. Now, the fix can be shut it down and get rid of it. It can be tweak it, alter it. I don't give a flying fig as long as veterans finally get what they have earned. Yes, earned. We have a legal and moral contract with these people to take care of them. And I don't care what it takes. We're going to do what we can to fix the VA. Whatever it takes. Shut it down, alter it. I don't care. Now... We decided we were going to launch a, a big documentary to show the failures of the Veterans Administration. The problem is, it's a one-shot deal. If we had created a spectacular two-hour documentary showing the failures of the VA, what's the most that would happen? People would go crazy for a while, wow, look at this, and then it would just fade into that good night. So we took a cue from the videos that were released about the... Um, Planned Parenthood. From the Center for Medical Progress. Yeah, from Center for Medical Progress, where it was just a constant stream of these things. So we said, let's alter it. And in today's world, people watch short videos. They don't watch really long, you know, two-hour documentaries as often. So we're creating, as part of an entire campaign, a series of mini documentaries, five minutes long, four or five minutes each one, hoping that as we release these about one a week between now and whatever it takes, that we'll be able to tell the tales of veterans or their family members. Because if you hear statistics like X number of people were killed, X number of veterans are suffering, X number died, it's just background noise. It's a number. Oh, 2,000 people hurting. Okay. Oh, wow, a million people have suffered over the last decade. Oh, 14 people died. Whatever it is. It's just a statistic. But when you get to see the person and realize that is a person. See, most of us can, can turn away from a number but it's hard to turn away from the person when you see it's your fellow man suffering. Not to mention someone who has sacrificed for your freedom and my freedom. And we, we owe them a debt contractually. We owe them. So if we tell the tales of these people and enough people see it, maybe the pressure will be put on D.C. to actually do something. And this is an election year coming up, not just for president, but remember, all of the House of Representatives and a third of the Senate roughly are up for re-election. And those campaigns 
are going to be in full force specifically after the first of the year. In fact, those primaries are coming up. The Iowa caucus is February 1st, New Hampshire primary about a week later. And then Tuesday after Tuesday, many, many states go. And that's where your, your senators, that's where your congressmen are going to be running. Then there's the general election. But let them know. It's, we've got to do everything we can to put them on record that they are going to fix the VA. And if they don't, we are going to fire you. Ask what they've done so far. That's the reason we're putting these out there. This is just one part of the campaign, these, these mini documentaries. There could be rallies and uh, a snappy dance that goes <laughs> along with it, a hit song. We don't care. We're going to take ideas down the road. But the first step is to show the plight of veterans. Well, and this is one of those topics, too, one of those ideas that is truly bipartisan. There's not going to be any politician out there who would not agree with the general concept of, yes, we have to take care of our veterans. So do call your congressman, call your senator. It doesn't matter if they're a Republican or a Democrat. This is an issue that needs to be solved and can with bipartisan support. I can't think of another issue that is more simple, more basic, more laid out where anybody would say, well, yeah, we have to take care of our vets. Yet for some reason, as long as there's been veterans, we have not taken care of them. Why? I think if you do have that many people that, that support veterans, truly, even, I mean, there's, there's plenty of people on the left that, that really think they should get what they're contractually promised, that they have earned. They do. So why the failure of such common ground? Politics and a lack of accountability. That's it. We have interviewed veteran after veteran. Skip and I, by the way, we're doing this out of our own pocket. We're not asking for any money. We have just paid for this stuff, driving town to town, all over the place, interviewing veterans in their homes, in other places, just to try to tell their stories. And it, it set us back, not that I'm complaining about it, but just to show you our commitment in what we're doing here. And there is a couple of common threads. The first common thread is that the VA is failing. The second common thread is that it's a lack of accountability. That's what they say over and over again. There's some good people at the VA, but there's a lack of accountability. The third common thread is they cannot get appointments. They cannot see anybody. The fourth common thread is that they just want to treat everything with drugs, many drugs. That there are veterans that are just given literally dozens of pills at the same time. We've had a couple reports of was it 24, 26 pills yeah, one guy was on? Yeah, something like that. In the high time, I mean, s several dozen, two dozen pills every single day to have to take. Why? At that point, you're taking pills to counteract the side effects of other pills. Yeah, the, the There's got to be a better way. Do you remember the Coupe de Gracie on that? They were on so many pills, this one veteran, like 26 pills or whatever, he started getting acid reflux because you're taking that many pills a day and it's, you know, hard on your stomach. So what did they do? They gave him a pill to deal with the acid reflux. And then he was constipated, so... Give him a pill for, for constipation, then. Give him a pill for that. This is their solution. So we have these, these running common thieves that we, we started realizing. We want to tell those tales. Something we, we stumbled on, and I didn't realize how bad it was until we started doing our research, that this is not a recent failure. And this is not just President Obama or George W. Bush or Clinton or Bush or Reagan or Carter it goes back since the beginning of America, us failing veterans. World War II, Revolutionary War, veterans were promised certain things. They had to march on D.C. to get their money. Do you remember what happened when the World War I veterans marched on D.C. to get their money, their bonuses, that they were denied? What happened? Look it up. They sent federal troops out to get rid of them, disperse them from the mall. These are people that fought for America, and you promised them something. 
So the failures of the VA have been going back prior to the VA. Veterans Administration started in 1930. This is when we said, okay, veterans, we're going to finally set things right for veterans, 1930, because it was the Veterans Bureau for nine years before that that had failed. They said the solution to fixing the Veterans Bureau, the VB, is... This is a VA. Change the name. Yeah, it's you a change VA it. is what we need. That's, well, and it's that the was a failure. Thing. It's the same thing they do, too, with any big political thing. If it fails in D.C., their, their idea of it is, you know what? We didn't spend enough money. You know, it just wasn't big enough. We didn't have enough control over it. So uh, what they did was changed, and literally every couple of years, a major scandal or something, major failure from the Veterans Administration or before that, the Veterans Bureau, it is literally every couple of years. So the solution is accountability. And the solution is probably limit the Veterans Administration as well. Give veterans an option of where they get their health care. A true option, not a BS card that they tried to float this last time around where nobody actually got fired. You give them a true option that says, here, go get your health care wherever you want. That's the solution. Uh, we want to show you a couple of clips of some of the uh, the videos we've put together. The first one is heart wrenching. It's from a mother whose son was told she was told her son died at the hands of the VA, and she was told at first he choked on a sandwich. Middle of the night she gets a call. He choked on a sandwich, and turns out later that was not the case. Miss Zelinsky, uh, your son. We, uh, one of the nurses has come in and found that your son might have choked on a sandwich. We're not sure yet, but they could not revive him, and he passed away. Nick was born on February 25th, 1986, in Spring Valley, Illinois Hospital. Graduated from Princeton High School in 2004. From there, he uh, decided to join the Army. But as a mother, I saw the PTSD slowly progress. He realized that the PTSD was beyond what he was going to be able to control for himself. So that's when he asked me, Mom, I need your help. Something's horribly wrong. He was starting to confine himself in his bedroom. And I couldn't get him to come out to do stuff with me anymore. And then if he did go and do anything, it was at night. Very often, people that you encounter with PTSD or other brain injuries have what's called photophobia. So that light sensitivity is a driving factor and means that they tend to stay in in the daytime because the photophobia uh, reacts to the sunlight and gives them a terrible headache. Uh, they tend to go out at night. They tend to be night owls. They'll sleep all day and, and go out at night. When he was pulling his toenails out of his toes in the mental health ward, that should give you an indication of where his mindset was. The story only gets worse from there when she discovers on live TV what he actually died from. It was heart-wrenching. She broke down in it several times. We interviewed her for hours and whittled it down into a very brief, simplification of the horrible things her son endured. This is a veteran. This is somebody who fought for us. We promised these people something. And this is the care he got. 
and nobody has been held accountable. His mother today spends her days with a couple of emotions, anger, frustration, and sorrow, mourning, looking for answers. We can fix the VA. What does it take? It takes me and you working together. You want to hold people accountable, watch the videos, and then share them online. Use the hashtag FixTheVA. Show people these. Maybe around Thanksgiving, your family gets together, show them. We've got a new one that will be released in a couple hours from right now. It will be released at olavo.us. Five letters, O-L-A-V-O. O-L-A-V-O dot U-S. It will be the, the third in the installment, and these will go forward in the, for the foreseeable future as long as we can fund it. Special thanks to our friend and uh, producer and director of these that has been working with Skip and I, Matt Roman out of Michigan, Detroit, Michigan. He's put in a lot of time on these, again, just working because he wants the story told. Olavo.us. Another one will be released in just a couple of hours, but you can see a couple right now. It's Doc Thompson and Skip Lacombe in for Patents Stew today. Doc Thompson, Skip Lacombe in for Patents Stew again today. Thanks so much for joining us. Telling you a little bit about some of the failures from the Veterans Administration. Uh, two of the regional directors of the Veterans Administration had uh, some questionable dealings. The IG, the Inspector General for the Veterans Administration, noticed that um, they had some particularly odd happenings where what it seemed like they had manipulated the system to get um, relocation funds. Uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars each in, in relocation money. They called it potentially criminal and turned it over to the Justice Department. These women were demoted to assistant regional, with nobody above them still making the same amount of money, and they're not going to have to pay back that $200,000 roughly each. They're not, they're not going to have to do that. This is money that should have gone to the veterans, and if not to the veterans, it should stay in your pocket. There's no accountability. That just, by the way, that information just came out over the weekend. These women will not be held accountable. They still have jobs. What would happen if you embezzled, essentially, $200,000 from your company? Would you still have a job? I don't think so. Why what do you share with you? Do you Liberty Safe? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> That's what, yeah, exactly what it is. Skip and I have tried embezzling. It doesn't work real well. Not in the private sector. Got another little clip, a piece of one of our other videos that you can see at olavo.us. Why, Mr. McDonald, will you help us? Why? That's what else. I want to know that answer. I want him to tell me why. For instance, I have an uncle that died about 10 years ago, and it took, by the time he got to the VA and went to the specialty clinic, he was a stage four lung cancer. So that was because it took him four to five months to see a primary care. After that, then they had to have a specialty preliminary doctor and then they had to go through a, another cancer doctor. And by the time they opened him up, he was stage four. He just had a few weeks to go, and that was it. Veterans can wait a long time to get basic care. Uh, they can suffer while they're waiting. And there's no, no reason why any veteran should have to suffer with um, standard medical problems that are easily taken care of. I'm on that path now because I have nodules in my lungs. One got a virus. Okay, I got cardiology, I got four heart attacks, seven stents, and I see my civilian doctor for that, not the VA. 
even though the Veterans Administration knows that people died at the hands of, of several VA clinics and that they spent a bunch more money, we allocated even more money, not that it's lacking, they have plenty of money, it is fully funded. People still have wait times of three to six months. Some wait times are actually longer since we did that. This is what's going on. The only way we change it is if you and I do it because those dirtbags in D.C. are not going to do it. Please watch the videos, share them, and start watching them as they come out roughly every week. What are we going to do to do it? Use the hashtag FixTheVA. It's not going to take 60% of Americans to get behind this to change things. If we can get a couple percent of the American population behind it to actually commit to change it, to put the pressure on D.C., the people that want to get reelected to office or elected to office coming up after the first of the year, things will change. So go to olavo.us, O-L-A-V-O.us, and use the uh, hashtag uh, FixTheVA and send those out to everybody you know. Skip and I will tweet them out as soon as the show's over, how you can find them. It's at Doc Thompson Show and at Skip Lacombe. We'll get that done, but only with your help. That's what it's going to take. We'll be with you tomorrow as well. Thanks so much for joining us. And uh, Wednesday, too, before we head into the Absolutely. big holiday celebration. I'm telling you, show these videos to your family and friends. You're sitting around the turkey. Let's get some good happening on Thanksgiving. We can do it.